And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, presented by Two True Freaks. I am your host, J. David Weeder. As always, and always will be, you can call me Dave. Typically, this is a podcast all about Marvel Comics' man without fear, Daredevil. However, this week, you might as well call the show Dave's Punisher Podcast. It was a weird genesis how this episode ended up being what it became. It was slotted in the spreadsheet to be an Elektra episode, covering Elektra Assassin number one and using that as a character profile to learn more about Elektra. That episode began including more and more content, just as I explored the rabbit hole that is Electra's history. I had a ton of good information on the character, but not necessarily a great thought process in order to present it. So I went through uh, several ideas on how I was going to fill this in and keep the schedule right to lead us up to episode 100, which will conclude the coverage of the Frank Miller Daredevil material. And it occurred to me, let's just move into Daredevil number 182, the next issue on our list, picking up from episode 39. And then I was going through those notes. And again, it was kind of the same concept. I'm covering the issue, but I'm skewing it a little bit more Punisher since he's going to be a major presence over the next few weeks and in the future. And as I looked at the notes and just the way the issue progresses, I realized I can split this issue into two episodes. Of course, this is abnormal. Normally, I cover one issue and just put all the information on the table, but... As you're going to find out, there's a lot to go through in terms of the Punisher. The irony of this is this would have been a great solution to the Elektra issue, and it is going to be applied around episode 83 when we'll do something similar to these two episodes with issue 190. As mentioned, we kind of have two tracks happening in the issue Daredevil 182. One is the Daredevil portion, and I'm going to talk about that next week. The other is a Punisher portion, and the key element to my selection of the material stemmed from Essential Punisher Volume 1, one of the main pieces of research I had for this particular episode. It omitted everything Daredevil in that issue, but kept the stuff we're going to be covering. So, it allows me to focus on Frank Castle this week. So, we'll be taking selected pages out of the issues, those being story pages, 4 through 6, 12 through 13, and then 18 through 20. And for those doing the numbers, yes, that's 8 out of 22 pages. But this episode will not lack. In fact, I think both episodes and the coverage will benefit greatly from splitting the focus. I have to kind of be honest. Unlike Daredevil, I didn't connect with the Punisher for a long, long time, and I can't really count myself among the fans. To me, Punisher was always such a simple, straightforward premise that didn't offer a lot. He's a guy with guns. He wears a skull. He kills people. And I don't necessarily know that that's wrong, at least in the realm of a superhero world where Doctor Strange is doing mystic stuff, Hulk is stomping around the desert, and Thor is flying around on a magic hammer. It is simplistic, but to me, the fascination came with who is Frank Castle. Well, we know the basics of the origin, but who is this guy? What drives him? So while I'm going to be looking at the material of Daredevil 182 featuring the Punisher, I'm also going to be looking at Frank Castle. One of the nice bonuses I realized with this episode is, since the Punisher is going to be featuring in Season 2 of Daredevil, this could end up being a great primer down the road. So make a note of this episode 
as well as episode 83 since their character profiles of Punisher and Elektra respectively. They're going to be fantastic primers for when season 2 rolls around, which is expected to be in April of 2016. So earmark these episodes. So let me bring my focus in just a little bit to Daredevil number 182, the May 1982 issue. I'm going to talk about the cover next week and talk about the broader portion of the issue. But this week we're focusing on just those few pages. And the issue was written and penciled by Frank Miller. Klaus Janssen was on finishes. I don't want to call it inks because I know he's doing a lot more because Miller's pages are becoming rougher and rougher. And Klaus also colored the book. To round out the creative staff, Joe Rosen lettered the issue. It's easily available since it's widely reprinted in Daredevil Punisher Child's Play Number 1, Daredevil Visionaries Frank Miller Volume 2, Essential Punisher Volume 1, and the Daredevil by Frank Miller and Klaus Jansen Omnibus. Digitally, it's offered in HD quality on the Marvel app, the Comixology app, and Digital Unlimited. The Punisher portion of the story begins at Riker's Island, where an unarmed and naked Frank Castle is stepping out of the shower, and he's accosted by three armed prison thugs, and it, as expected, doesn't go well for the thugs. And I kind of know what you were thinking. Uh, I would have also expected a post-shower prison scene going a different way, but this is literally Frank Castle in a towel, completely naked, against three guys. One of them huge, muscly, carrying a lead pipe, the other two carrying knives. And he owns them with a damn towel. He weaponizes a towel, which makes me believe that the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy must have been onto something. Now, the colors in this issue, and I'm going to comment even more on this next week, the colors are staggering. Now, is that good or bad staggering? You be the judge. Here, the background is this hot pink or magenta, and it's very subtle for such a bright color because it evokes the heat of a shower room, as well as the rage that's just bubbling below Frank's surface. I mean, he's coming off as calm, but you know, this is a focused, possessive rage. And thug number three sees it in Frank's eyes because this guy holding a knife realizes just how screwed he is. And Frank is smiling, which, you know, if the Punisher's smiling generally, that's a bad thing for you. So with this one scene, if you were just reading Daredevil, had never heard of the Punisher, you get the idea that Punisher is a badass. He's in prison, so how's he going to affect the rest of the story? We're going to get to that. But the question on your mind is, who is this guy? Where did he come from? And it's a valid question. Now, some of the easier parts are it was a character created by Jerry Conway, originally created as a character called the Assassin, which was a villain that would one day become a hero. That was the concept. Conway would do these rough sketches of the character just to get an idea to the artist, and the original sketch had a skull logo in the upper chest area, a very small one. John Romita took that, expanded it, so it now covers the whole chest. And according to Stan Lee, Lee himself renamed the character The Punisher based on a villain that didn't quite take off. And as you probably learned from Coyote Ugly, Punisher appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number 129, the February 1974 issue. 
It was a story entitled The Punisher Strikes Twice. I had seen the cover, I had seen pictures of the Punisher as a kid, and, you know, I never connected with him the way I did Daredevil. And a lot of that comes down to his costume. It's this black bodysuit with white gloves, white boots, and the white skull logo. No color. No color at all. And of course, the guy's carrying guns. He's not a superhero. The Punisher's look always struck me like a box of rat poison or an anti-smoking PSA. He just came off as bad, and maybe that was intentional. The basic introduction to this story is the Jackal's duping the Punisher into going up against Spider-Man, and Punisher slowly realizes that Jackal's playing him. The thing that stood out to me on the reread through the Essential Punisher Volume 1 was he's essentially a blank slate beyond the idea that we get the basic concept and an offhanded mention that he is a Marine. So Conway made a nice appearance, and plus he left himself plenty of room to develop this character. I don't know how much he came in armed with as far as the Punisher's background, but here he just created a great mystique to the character. Looking at it as adult Dave, it's I see the appeal, I see why people were fascinated. And why Punisher came back five issues later. The beginning of this period that I'm going to call perennial guest star, or always a bridesmaid, never the bride. Punisher returned in issues 134 and 135 of The Amazing Spider-Man, this time to team up with Spider-Man to take on the Tarantula. He would return again in giant-sized Spider-Man number four, and this is a story where I really felt like I got the Punisher. In the story, Spider-Man and the Punisher take on Moses Magnum, who's holding people in a concentration camp, basically doing human trafficking. He's also terrorizing the area with deadly gas. And this stuff is atrocious, which becomes important in just a moment. Two major things uh, regarding the build of the character of the Punisher were introduced in this. First off was his war journal. Now, the war journal is basically him chronicling his process, his targets, everything that happened. It's his ongoing diary. And this stood out to me in two very large ways. One, the Punisher chronicles this, well, first as an exposition device, but secondly, he's not just a man with a gun going around killing whoever gets in his way. He's skilled, he's focused, and he is processing all of this. It's a plan, it's a journey for him. So he's not just a simple vigilante, there's more going on. Not much more, but more. Now to that end, the reason I mention this is that it's a war journal. He doesn't talk about his thoughts and his feelings per se, he talks about the war. And that's all he talks about. That's what Punisher is at this stage. He's a man at war. There is no real personal life. There are no friends, there are potential allies and enemies. And innocence in the middle. Much like his costume, the Punisher is seeing the world in black and white. There's very little gray area, and that tells me there's not much of a man there, there's just a soldier. Now, the second thing that was introduced in Giant Size Spider-Man number four was Punisher's battle van. It's the Punisher's mobile command post, really. It's a van marked as a TV repair van. However, it holds all kinds of tech inside, things that will aid him in his ongoing war. And while the war journal gave me some insight to him as a concept and made me appreciate his costume, the scene where the Punisher really became vivid to me, as far as who he is in the present, where we're meeting him as well as shortly before, there's a scene towards the climax of the issue where the Punisher and Spider-Man are facing Moses Magnum, who is lifting a canister of his deadly gas. And the Punisher simply shoots the canister. He and Spider-Man get the hell out of Dodge, but Moses Magnum is getting a big, big dose of his own medicine, which is ruthless. And that further cemented that black and white concept for the Punisher, good and evil. When faced with the evil portion of the equation, there's no middle ground. He's not Daredevil or Spider-Man. This is a completely different entity, more like the Sin Eater, just to bring in discussions from the past few weeks. Sin Eater sought out 
eliminating the criminal element. Now, Sin Eater focused on those that he saw as propagating that criminal element rather than the criminal element. Punisher is focused on the criminals. He wants to eliminate them. He doesn't want them to serve jail time, no rehabilitation. They need to be dead. To him, the only way to eliminate them is to kill them. No ifs, ands, or buts, no mercy. This is war. You're either with the Punisher or against him. And if you're anything in the middle, you're in the way, and in some cases, expendable. So at this stage in reading The Essential Punisher, I get where he is. I get who he is now. This is a man at war with laser focus on that war and nothing else. And I think the readers of the time saw that too. So it was time for the Punisher's tale to be told. And to do that, Punisher was spun off into a story in a solo black and white magazine format called Marvel Preview. Because of the magazine format, there was a more free form ability to do a mature reader story. They weren't hampered by the comics code because it's a quote unquote magazine. But in Marvel Preview number two, we learn a lot about the Punisher. His origin is laid out for us. We learn that he was born Frank Castiglione. He was a decorated Marine who served in Vietnam, twice promoted in the field. Because of his service, he won many prestigious honors. He won the Medal of Honor, which is the highest honor you can earn for acts of valor. The Bronze Star, given to individuals distinguished by heroic or meritorious achievement. The Silver Star, the third highest decoration of valor. The Purple Heart, which he won four times for being wounded or killed in service. In his case, of course, that would be the wounded. And Frank was slated for the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor one can earn. So this came in conflict for me. We see this ruthless man on a personal war. Relentless, no real chain of command, no nothing. It's him versus them. And for me, the question became, who was Frank Castle in the war? I wanted to know more about the Punisher's time in the service. What formed this guy? And I knew there were comics that dealt with that, specifically in the series The Nom, which I don't have. I don't have a ton of issues, precious fewer on Digital Unlimited. And I thought to myself, Dave, you know people. I know somebody that's just right to give us that insight. Somebody with some experience. So I reached out to Tom Panneries, host of In Country here on Two True Freaks, which covers Marvel Comics The Nom. And I reached out to Tom and asked him if he would mind giving us some insight to Punisher service within the pages of The Nom. And being a gracious and awesome guy, he said, sure. So what I'm going to do now is hand the show over to special guest Tom Panneries, who's going to tell us about Punisher in The Nom. Hey, it's Tom Panneries, host of In Country, a podcast about The Nom. And I've been asked to come on and give you a quick and dirty look at Frank Castle's service record, which was detailed in a series of Nam storylines that were all titled The Punisher Invades the Nam. The stories themselves appeared in five issues of the Nam, plus one trade paperback that collects three other stories, making it a total of eight. And these eight stories span a total of three years of the Nam's publication history. Speaking of which... A little background before I actually get into the stories themselves. But to longtime readers of the NOM, these Punisher stories are actually quite controversial. Original writer Doug Murray had given his audience a realistic, real-time portrayal of the Vietnam War that was deliberately divorced from the greater Marvel Universe. The book was incredibly successful at first, too, putting up sales numbers that rival the X-Men in its first couple of years. However, at some point in the second or third year of publication, Marvel decided to make the book direct market, and that really cut the legs out from under the title. By 1991, the sales were flagging, and Doug Murray was off the book, and would be replaced by Chuck Dixon, who would write the title for quite a number of issues, eventually being replaced by Don Lomax, and the series ended in 1994 with issue 84. The Punisher stories appeared in issues number 52 and 53, which were written by Roger Salek with art by Mike Harris and Jimmy Palmiotti. In fact, this is one of Palmiotti's earliest credits. 
Issues 67 through 69, which were written by Chuck Dixon with art by Kevin Kobasic and Jimmy Palmiotti. And a trade paperback called Punisher and the Nam Final Invasion, which collects three stories that were intended to be issues 84, 85, 86 of the series. But the book was canceled before they could see print. The team on that one is Don Lomax, with art by Alberto, and I'm going to butcher this name, I would say Sarkochin. Sorry. That trade came out in 1994, shortly after the NOM itself uh, finished its run, and actually goes for a pretty good price on eBay, mainly because it's out of print. I got mine at a low price through some sort of miracle, to be honest. But the issues themselves are easy to find in, in cheap bins and did prove at least moderately successful in boosting the title sales because, well, that's basically what you did back in the early 90s and wanted an issue of a lower-selling book to sell. You put either Wolverine or The Punisher in it. Now, I'm going to cover these stories in an interesting way here. On my show, which is an index show, I'll be hitting each of these issues individually when they come around. But in the introduction to the final invasion trade, editor Tim Toy says that there is a way to read all of these stories so as to get the exact chronology of their events, and that is what I'm going to do. The reading order is as follows. The NOM number 67, 68, and 69, then pages 1 through 11 in the NOM final invasion trade, then the NOM number 52 to 53, and then the rest of the Punisher Invades the Nam Final Invasion trade paperback. So, no problem, right? Anyway, here's the story. The Nam number 67 through 69 is a three-part story that takes place while Ice, a character that had been a regular part of the series from issues 14 to 41, is helping an injured soldier. Ice tells the kid the story of a Marine named Frank Castiglione, who, fresh off the plane into the Nam, winds up at Firebase Phoebe. He's very knowledgeable about the war and proves to have excellent instincts because he is able to warn his CO about a possible enemy attack. Unfortunately, his CO ignores it, and during one ambush in the jungle, Frank stumbles upon two things. A huge NVA and VC staging area, and the bodies of a patrol from, from the Firebase that had disappeared. What comes to light is that the patrol was deliberately sent to their deaths by the CO at, of Firebase Phoebe. The men were all deserters and were paying the CEO for a way out of the war. But he was collecting their money and sending them on a suicide mission. Frank confirms this when, during a massive attack on the firebase, he runs from his bed in the infirmary to the CEO's office and finds the money. He then personally takes out a ton of enemy soldiers, as if he were, wait for it, punishing them, and then, when the CEO tries to kill him, strangles him. This gets Frank put in a prison where he refuses put in prison where he refuses to talk for weeks but then finally tells a colonel whose name he doesn't know and therefore ends up being the colonel with no name this, this colonel seems to have no reaction and his answer is to put Frank into another unit in a highly dangerous area probably because he thinks that well Frank will be killed in action and therefore the problem will take care of itself Frank serves out his tour and when he sees the colonel again he tells the guy off this makes him look both the stuff of legend and a bit of a cautionary tale. Ice tells the kid that Frank re-upped twice, and rumor has it that he re-upped a third time under a different name. That colonel was shot in the head in Saigon. 
and it's a lesson of how the war consumes you, something the kid needs to remember when he gets back into the world. This takes us to pages 1 through 11 of The Punisher and the Nam, Final Invasion. There's a framing device in this trade where Frank, not wearing his Punisher gear, is visiting the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. As he stands at the wall, a vet in a wheelchair asks if he was in country. Then the memories start coming back. He was honorably discharged after not being allowed to re-up a third time. Then Frank went home to Brooklyn and found himself listless. After getting into a bar fight, he used connections to officially change his name from Frank Castiglione to Frank Castle. He re-enlists, he joins the Green Berets, and he gets sent back into the Vietnam. We then head into issues 52 to 53 of the comic book. This details a mission where Frank, who has made a name for himself as a sniper, is called in to help the CEO of a Marine base take care of a problem known as the Monkey, one of the enemy's best snipers. He goes deep into the bush and winds up getting captured. The monkey taunts him by showing Frank that the base's CO is the next target. Frank escapes by pretending to hang himself and quickly kills several guards and then paints a white skull on his chest because, well, the Punisher. He also does the same to one of his victims, whom he has booby-trapped with a debt cord. From there on, it is a game of cat and mouse with the monkey, one that ends with the two sighting one another across an open field and Frank killing his adversary. He takes the monkey's necklace, a white skull, and he heads back. And we head back into the final invasion trade for the rest of these three issues. This involves two particular missions. In one, Frank leads a, leads a long-range recon unit to stop a huge drug shipment that is supposedly being led by an American officer. During the mission, not only is that confirmed, but Frank sees that the crooked American officer is none other than the colonel with no name he encountered all the way back in issues 67 through 69. The colonel recognizes him as Frank Castiglione, but he, and he escapes before either of them can really confront one another. Frank's going after the colonel is delayed when it's discovered that a B-52 went down not far from where they are, and the surviving crew is taken prisoner and is being held in the Death Hole, a cru cruel prison rung by a Dr. Mengele-esque scientist who has all sorts of communist troops at his service, from NVA to Cubans. Frank organizes a raid, frees the prisoner, but gets captured in the process. This doesn't last long, however, as he breaks out just as the scientist is about to run a grotesque super-soldier experiment on him. He's picked up by the choppers, and he gets back to his base. Meanwhile, that colonel, the one with no name, is interrogating the men Frank rescued, claiming that Frank is wanted for treason. Seeing that this is obviously all fishy, they won't talk, and the colonel winds up jumping out the window when he hears the base's CEO screaming at the MPs outside as to why this guy is in there and why they won't let anybody else in. Then, they go back to the death hole to complete the mission. And as everything is wrapping up, that CEO gives Frank the name of that colonel. We cut to some time later in Saigon, where Frank mounts up his rifle, gets the colonel in his sights, and fires. Back at the wall, Frank gives the disabled vet the Congressional Medal of Honor he received for the rescue mission at the Death Hole, and walks away thinking about milestones, while a caption box reminds us of one other milestone in the life of the Punisher, the death of his family. Now, I'll not give an in-depth review here, 
but I wanted to offer at least some commentary. There are two questions I've been asking as I've been reading these Punisher and the Nam stories. One, is this a good issue of the Nam? And two, is this a good Punisher story? Now, I'm going to table that first one until I get to those issues on my own show. As for the second one, is this a good Punisher story? Well, if you put this all in the proper context in that it's a Punisher story in the early 1990s, it works. It works very, very well. And it's a good Punisher story. In fact, all three writers are careful to write these basically as Punisher Vietnam stories. And they were also careful to place them outside of the continuity of the Nam. So that if you were a hardcore reader of the Nam and didn't care for the Punisher issues, you could literally skip them and not miss anything else. Art-wise, before I get to the actual story, the story in issues 52 and 53 has the best art. Mike Harris and Jimmy Palmiotti have a nice, clean style, and they tell the story well. The art in the others is all right, but at times veers very much into the 90s territory with scratchiness and over-the-top violence and giving Frank just, like, enormous amounts of musculature and, and just having him do all sorts of crazy superhuman things. Then again... So does the story. The sniper story in issues 52 to 53 had this great cat and mouse thing going on at times. But overall, these stories simply serve to show that Frank Castle is not just a good soldier, but he's a natural soldier and that he's never going to stop fighting the war. It's definitely really Rambo at times, uh, especially the Punisher and uh, the Final Invasion trade paperback where he single-handedly seems to rescue all those guys and take apart this death hole. But it fits. This was an era where the Punisher seemed to be like able to take on anything. And the man had so many titles. I think they gave him like an Ohatmu type of story title miniseries thing about like his weapons and, you know, the Nam was not selling very well because this is the era of the McFarlane Spider-Man and the Jim Lee X-Men. And, you know, it was it was that 90s. So it's a 90s Punisher story and it works very well. While I would not recommend paying a premium for the Punisher and the Nam Final Invasion trade unless you were a Punisher or Nam completist... I'm the latter. I would, if you found the issues themselves in the cheapy bins, pick them up, especially 52 and 53. It's the better of all three. It's actually kind of a fun story uh, and and is, is very well done. If you're interested in hearing more about the NAM, you can check out my show, In Country, which is taking a complete look at the series issue by issue. You can find that over on the Two True Freaks feed. Just look for In Country. And I have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Podcast. Thank you again for having me on. I hope you guys uh, got a little bit out of this as far as the uh, Punisher's nom origins are concerned. And thank you for listening and take care. And again, that was Mr. Tom Paneris of In Country covering Marvel Comics The Nom. 
It is right down the dial on twotruefreaks.com, so if you're there seeking this show, you have no excuse to not seek out Tom's in-country podcast, nor any excuse to not listen to Pop Culture Affidavit, a show after Dave's own heart. But Tom gave me a lot of insight into Frank Castle during that time before he became the Punisher. You get these seeds of what will drive Frank. Sort of that focus and that relentlessness. But what drove him over the edge? Now, most of this, you know. Frank came home to his family. He had a wife and two children. Before he could get to living the American dream that he had fought for, they were killed by mafia hitmen. In a sad state of coincidence, they happened to stumble upon a mafia execution while picnicking in the park. And of course, the basic idea is that Frank swore to go to war with the crime families. And this is a war that we see he has dedicated himself to completely, totally. Mind, body, soul, heart, all of it. The origin is is heart-wrenching when you think about it. This is a man that went to fight for his country, continued to fight for his country, volunteered several tours, finding loopholes to do so. And why? To fight for freedom, to fight for his country, to serve a greater good and protect the American dream. We can talk all day about whether the Vietnam War contributed to that. I'm not here to discuss that. I'm here to discuss a character and what affected that character. And to me, there was an altruism to why Frank was serving and why he was even in Vietnam to begin with. And that is that ideal of Americana, his family, his home. And as soon as he comes home from that war, it gets taken away. Well, suddenly this isn't just a simple 80s action movie. You did this, I'm going to vow revenge. No, this is something far worse. With ties to the real world, to be honest with you. So with Tom's insight and with some of the reading here, I kind of got a picture of Frank. And of course, this evolves over time. But here, Frank started out as an honorable man. Driven, yes. But Frank kind of learned a duty to a conflict. You finish the war. As I mentioned just a moment ago, he went out to fight for freedom. A greater good. An altruism, if you will. And as soon as he came home from that fight... It was destroyed, but it only amplified what was already there. Vietnam is well documented as being just hell on earth, and I would say war as a whole is hell on earth. Unless you've been there, you can't conceive of it. As a kid, I was lucky enough to know many World War II veterans thanks to my grandparents' involvement with the American Legion. These were fantastic guys, most of which unfortunately have passed, but they would talk about the war and their memories, and I would listen, and I was astonished. We're talking about people who were in fighter planes that were crashing, and the last thing they think of is they're never going to see their wife again. Again, we can't conceive of this. In Vietnam, that theater of war was horrific. I once spoke with a Vietnam vet who had been tortured in various ways, including pulling his fingernails out. You were constantly on guard because the Viet Cong were crafty. They used their environment, they knew their environment, and the environment itself was deadly. So Frank, who had been in this fight for quite some time had probably a default state of defense. We've heard about Vietnam flashbacks, things of that nature. These are deep-rooted things. You go to war, you're at war, you're at defense at all times, because you never know when or how the enemy is going to strike. And Punisher was no stranger to action. He saw an entire platoon killed right in front of him, and he was almost dead except somebody came and saved his life. So Frank, coming home from that, I don't think he could go back from being a fighter to just being a family man, working at a pizzeria or something, selling insurance. Come on, that's not really what's in his blood. And to me, his extreme reaction, and granted, it's an extreme situation to have your family killed, but to devote so much to a war that you're basically hollowed out, and you're nothing but a a soldier fighting, that to me implies something deeper. And my belief is that Frank came home with post-traumatic stress disorder. 
but I believe the seed was already there while he was at war, and Tom's overview of the Nam really solidifies that for me. Now, according to the Mayo Clinic, I'm going to take this explanation from the experts, post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, is a mental health condition that's triggered by a terrifying event. Either experiencing it or witnessing it, symptoms may include flashbacks, nightmares, and severe anxiety, as well as uncontrollable thoughts about the event. It goes on to explain some of the symptoms, negative changes in thinking and mood, which include negative feelings about yourself or other people, inability to experience positive emotions, feeling emotionally numb, lack of interest in activities you once enjoyed, hopelessness about the future, memory problems including not remembering important aspects of the traumatic event, difficulty maintaining close relationships. If the war didn't plant that, then of course his family being killed right in front of him would. So while there may have been a piece of the Frank uh, pre-war in there, this would have stripped that completely. So what's left? What's left of Frank? How does he exhibit this post-traumatic stress disorder? He's, of course, antisocial, negative feelings towards others, an incredible focus. Basically, Frank Castle died inside, and what was left was the soldier, the procedure. Not necessarily muscle memory, but something along those lines, a regiment rehearsed thing that he's trained for. The only thing left within Frank's psyche is his training and his focus and a target. The entire human element of Frank Castle is destroyed by something evil, an enemy, on the home front. Not out in the war where he saw his friends die, where he himself faced death, but on the home front. He's like a pumpkin that's been carved out. He's a jack-o'-lantern. And that jack-o'-lantern is carved in a skull formation. No regrets, no fear, no limits. Suddenly, Frank became very real to me. And yes, we're seeing a man that's doing nothing but relentlessly hunting criminals, but it's a trauma. And it's a trauma that he really cannot come back from. He's crossed the Rubicon. This is, again, a hollowed-out man. There's nothing left but regimen. So how did the Punisher end up in prison, where we find him here? Well, that happened in Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 15, in which Punisher and Spider-Man took on Dr. Octopus in a plot to poison the Daily Bugle's ink. Now, at the end of this story, Punisher willingly surrendered to police, because, as he mentions, there are an awful lot of criminals in Rikers Island. And that kind of brings us back up to the present, back to Daredevil number 182. We're back in Rikers, and there's a man from an unnamed agency that's visiting with Frank. And Frank is busying himself with pull-ups. And you know, this is still indicative of Frank's mental state. When he's not fighting or researching what have you, Frank is constantly exercising his body and mind for the war. Again, full immersion, there's the war, and nothing else. Artistically, I'll mention that Miller's using some of his old tricks here, rectangles. We have prison bars. And we have these panels set up in rectangles, one tall, thin one, six small ones. And we have this sort of pool table green. And it's interesting because this is a bunch of inversions. The rectangles are small because it's a prison. We're trapped in here. And the entire background is made up of these rectangles. On the section where the bars would be, the pool table green is the bars. On the floor, the shadows of the bars are black, where the floor itself is green. It's monochromatic. It's dull. And it is a prison. And since this is sometime later, the agent mentions that the three men that we saw Frank fight with a towel have died. He killed them with a towel. And this is the fourth time that this has happened in a week. So Castle is just a killing machine. With a purpose, yes, but a killing machine. Now the main brunt of this is that the agent mentions that a drug shipment is going to go down in about 16 hours. And officially his agency can't do anything. They have to turn the other cheek. But Frank could if the agent arranges his escape. And this, of course, catches Frank's attention. So later, back at Rikers, Turk and Grotto are attempting to escape themselves. It's snowy, it's dark, and you know, this scene is done completely in shadow. It's cast against a blue vellum color hold, 
Thank You Fire Water podcast, which is a sheet of really colored paper, just giving a textured background, much like Zipatone. And the scene just kind of plays out like shadow puppets, like panel mime, but a colorful one. And you know, I didn't appreciate these vellum effects until I got the Born Again Artists edition and saw how they really worked. It's an incredibly cool effect. I'm going to talk more about it down the road a little bit. But of course, the Punisher upsets Turk's best laid plans. Punisher himself escapes via a ladder that drops down right by Turk and Grotto. And Turk decides to take this opportunity because, you know, vision he's got. Grotto, however, decides to take the high road. Turk's vision is not for him, so he's going to stay behind. And likewise, the Punisher also finds he has no need for Turk's vision. So he cuts the rope ladder, sending Turk into the drink. Don't worry, he'll be back. You can't drown that kind of vision. And the issue speeds ahead around some Daredevil stuff we're going to be discussing next week. To Long Island, a.k.a. Paul Spataro Country, where the narcotic shipment is progressing, unaware that a fully armed and in-costume Punisher is waiting. Remember when I said that the Punisher smiling is a bad thing? Well, the Punisher has a big, wicked smile here. So, bad thing. The entire ambush is just over in minutes. It's one man against a small squadron of men, and he takes out a motorcyclist by a wire, everybody else with the guns. He just shoots them down. Now, one thing stands out is one of the shippers here tries to surrender. He's saying, I've had enough. No, no, no. And the Punisher shoots him anyway. In this war, there's no prisoners, no mercy. Again, no regrets. And this just simply shows how ideologically opposed the Punisher is to Daredevil. There's no chance to rehabilitate and no room for redemption. So as you might imagine, these two aren't exactly gonna get along. So with everybody dead, the agent steps out of the shadows because, well, he actually believes he's gonna take Punisher back to Riker's Island, now that the dirty work has been done. The agent's not very smart. He has dumb intentions and even worse timing because he's telling Punisher he's taking him back as Punisher realizes that the criminal that he just shot, the one that was surrendering, was nothing but a child. For him, yes, there's a certain morality of kids shipping drugs, which is sickening. And at the same time, there's some piece of Frank that was a parent who has lost his children and lost that potential. Now, for a dead man walking, really just dead inside, he has moments where the old Frank will come out, particularly around kids. There was a power pack issue in which the Punisher was actually extremely charming to the kids of that team. And really, the kids, they represent innocence, both in that broader sense and the innocence of his own children that were snuffed out. This is too much for the Punisher to stand. He can't go back now, so he gives the boot to the face of the agent, and he re-enlists in the greater war. And artistically, the Punisher's eyes are literally red, which means it's time for some criminals to buy some brown pants because the war is on. And we're going to come back to that in two weeks when the Punisher and Daredevil come head to head. So that's my overview of the Punisher, who he is internally, not just as a concept, but who is Frank Castle. That's why I connect to him. I get now who Frank Castle is and through that, the way the war plays out. And we're going to see him again and again and well beyond that. Punisher is going to be a presence that keeps popping up. I'm not going to give a final verdict on the issue this week because we got the rest of the issue to cover next week, but I will say this is the action part of the issue. Just a setup for the Child's Play story we're going to be coming to in two weeks, but next week we're going to see a very different kind of story in the same issue. For now, I'm going to take a quick podcast promo break. I'm going to play a promo for In Country, hosted by Tom Panneries, and then I will be right back. In Country has re-upped for another tour and we've been reassigned. Now you can find this complete look at Marvel Comics The Nom on the Two True Freaks Network. So join me, Tom Panneries, for In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics The Nom, every two weeks at twotruefreaks.com. We gotta get out of this place. 
I am back. And remember, that is at twotruefreaks.com, right down the dial from this show. You have my recommendation and no excuse. Before we wrap up for this week, this most recent Thursday was the first Thursday without a Hey Kids comics. That's a little hard to deal with, but I want to take just a moment and want to say, Andrew and Michael, you made a great show. Your finale was great. I'm truly going to miss Hey Kids comics, but congratulations on ending it on your own terms. A great 250 episode run that I'm going to re-listen to. And that puts a fork in this episode. I'm done for the week. Next week, the Daredevil portion of this same issue, and I can pretty much promise you a rant. Probably a couple of rants. It's going to be an interesting one. So join me in seven days. Until then, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. Dave's Daredevil Podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks network of podcasts. You can find the show's home at twotruefreaks.com. Also, choose to like the network on Facebook. Simply search for Two True Freaks. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash daveweeder. And you can email the show. The address is mail at daredevilpodcast.com. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and keep the lights on at Two True Freaks at the same time. What a deal. Daredevil and all related characters are copyright Marvel Entertainment Group. All rights reserved. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not draw profit from the references to the characters herein. All music and sound clips are used for entertainment purposes. All rights lie with the copyright holder. Dave's Daredevil Podcast is a production of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Until next time, I am J. David Weeder. Thank you so much for listening.